Welcome back to Humans of Grad School, the podcast about humans who happen to go to grad school. Being a grad student can often become a large part of our identity, but it's not the only part. This podcast aims to share the stories of students behind the research. Hi, everyone. So Monica's here again, um, sitting under my covers to record this and once again, sweating a lot. So I'm going to try and make this quick. I just wanted to give everyone a heads up that the audio on today's episode from my end is still a little weird. Um, Before we started, I asked my guests if my audio was clear or if it sounded like a phone call in a Drake song. And while it was clear on the other end, that's not how it came out. So I just wanted to give everyone a heads up. Today's guest is Selma, a failed astronaut, community carer, and path explorer. Let's hear her story. Um, I think I wanted, for a point in time, wanted to be an astronaut. Um, I really loved outer space. I still really do. I'm really intrigued just by everything outer space. My parents used to buy me popular science magazines for, so that I could read about like exploring Mars and all of that stuff. I remember when they sent the Mars rover out in the late 90s and I was so excited. And then I watched Armageddon and it showed how they train astronauts and all the training that goes into it. And it really, really terrified me. So kind of put that on hold and figured I'd take my life in another direction. <laughs> okay. What about the training in <laughs> Armageddon? Uh, <Yeah>. <laughs> scared you. So I get motion sickness very easily. <laughs> so I just imagined myself throwing up all over whatever shuttle I'd be in. And it just put a pin in that dream fairly quickly. <laughs> okay, that's fair. So then, okay, other as an individual who experiences motion sickness, um, who is Selma? <laughs> Oh God. (laughs) Uh, Who am I? Um, That's a really good question. I think it evolves over time. I would like to think of myself as someone who tries to, I don't know, um, build community and um, look out for the people around me and hopefully just leave the world better than I found it. Okay, what does building community and looking out for the people around you look like to you? Um, It means genuinely caring for the well-being of other people. So asking what people needs, finding the means to get it, organizing with um, other members of the community so that we can collectively build a better future for ourselves and generations to come. How do you do that currently? Um, I try to do it in a number of ways. Um, I try to do, be active in community level organizations, whether it be different charities or religious groups. Um, I'm also fairly active politically as well. So in, you know, in the political process and during elections. And I also try to do that through um, my research as well. So targeting my research, looking at populations that 
um, have maybe been neglected um, or not examined over time. And I think just personally, I try to do my best by being a good friend, a good daughter, a good granddaughter, a good sister, um, someone who tries to take care of the people around me in my life and in my community. Definitely. Okay, you talked about your research a little bit, saying, you know, some of your research or all of your research focuses on populations or individuals that have been neglected or maybe not as prevalent within the research world. Can you tell me a little bit more about your research? Uh, Sure. So I am currently asking how it is that senior Arab immigrants access and experience uh, healthcare services in community. So it's looking at those pathways to care and how it is that this population seeks accesses and experiences healthcare at a community level. Um, And so I'm kind of looking at three levels of a population that's, I would say, not hasn't, there hasn't been much research conducted um, in terms of seniors, uh, immigrants, Arabs. So kind of that overlapping sectors of identity together. And I think that's why my questioning is a little broad. It's because that there hasn't been a great deal of research conducted um, about this population in Ontario. Um, I've found that a lot of the research about immigrant groups in Canada kind of amalgamates a lot of different groups together and just says, you know, this is how immigrants seek care or, you know, these are the barriers and, and you know, challenges of immigrants seeking care. But that I don't think that it's really been parceled off to look at the differences within immigrant groups. And that's a pretty diverse group to kind of generalize and to just make singular conclusions about. Definitely. How did you get into this topic of research and field of research? I think it was um, a couple of different ways. Um, I, for a while, was a research assistant with professors who were conducting research in palliative care. Um, And although not all palliative care is with seniors, uh, a a good majority of it is. Um, And it was specifically um, palliative home care. Uh, So again, in community. Um, And then I have always tried to cater my personal research interests in my own community. So my um, master's as well was looking um, within the Muslim community. And specifically, I'm looking in the Arab community, which can or doesn't have to be Muslim, can be Christian, is very diverse in its faith. And so I, yeah, so I started off as a research assistant in this sector of healthcare, but always try to gear it towards um, my own, my own cultural and religious community. Um, why are you passionate about your research? Why am I passionate about my research? That's a good question. I have always been interested in healthcare systems. Like, I think it's really interesting how it is that we organize our healthcare services in general. That has always been a topic of interest to me. I come from the, I guess, I don't know, mind frame that that healthcare is a human right. And so um, how it is that we enable others to access that human right, I think is really important. And I'm passionate about it because I see that things can change for the better. And I'm in a space that allows me to ask the questions, how can that happen? And and hopefully present them to an audience that can put those changes to action. 
Definitely. Okay. So you mentioned, you know, you did your master's, you've been a research assistant at different points. So how mm -hmm. did you go from Selma who wanted to be an astronaut and then realized that she would barf in her space jet or whatever it is to now currently doing your PhD examining this topic? Um, I don't think it was a, a you know, linear journey. I took a year off between each of my degrees to decide if I wanted to continue on and, you know, enter graduate school or continue on in graduate school. Um, and every step of the way, I tried to ask questions of people already in the field or gain experience a little bit within that field to decide if this was the path that I wanted. I also, um, also wanted to remain in academia a little bit kind of from the teaching side as well. So obviously the research, research side is really important, but also the teaching side um, and acknowledging that we have the ability as instructors and professors to shape the, I guess, next generation of minds. Um, and just the power of being a woman of color, a visible minority in a space where a lot of us aren't there and to really make the space a little bit more accessible for other women who look like me. And I think that's, that's also really important. So it's been, I think, a motivational idea in keeping me going. What has your experience been like being a woman who is a visible minority going through these different degrees and pathways to end up where you are? I recently told a, a coworker of mine that I think in my 10 years in school or so, like so from undergrad all the way through my PhD, I think I maybe had three visible minority professors, maybe four altogether. Um, and honestly, if I counted from kindergarten all the way through my PhD, it wouldn't be that much, that many more. Um, and so I think, I think it's a couple of things. I think not seeing yourself in spaces um, has the impact of limiting your imagination as to what it is that you believe you can achieve. And then the second thing is that you don't have that mentorship. You don't have people necessarily ahead of you who can say, hey, this is how I navigated these spaces and this you know, can help you as well. And so I think that it, it, um, is its own additional challenge. I think I've been very blessed and privileged in the sense that I have professors and highly educated women in my family who you know, have in the back of my mind allowed me to explore that even just in my own imagination. But in terms of the practical mentorship that is available to me in, in my field, it, it wasn't always necessarily there. Um, although I do appreciate the mentors that I have, definitely. I think it's very different to have other people who look like you, who experience similar barriers as you, to be able to mentor you in, in, in academia. What will your hopes be? For other women who follow the same trajectory as you, what would you want changed for them? Hmm. What would I want changed for uh, generations to come? You would like, or kind of like, what would an ideal space look like? Maybe even both. If you wanna, if you wanna talk about both, that would be great. I don't know. It's hard. I mean, um, I, I feel like a lot of it is interpersonal. Um, so a lot of it is just how did you navigate micro 
racist microaggressions, right? Like somebody says something dumb to you, but you're in a professional space. Like, what do you do? You know, how do you navigate that? Or um, you feel, you know, that you're being treated differently by whoever. And, you know, it's not an outward act of racist aggression. So, you know, how, how do you deal with that? You know, just like a lot of it is small interpersonal things that I wonder if I am advocating for myself as much as I could. Um, I'm also wondering sometimes, am I making too much of a stink of things, right? Just that mentorship and having people who have dealt with similar barriers be able to tell you how to navigate them. Um, in an ideal world, those microaggressions wouldn't exist <laughs> um, and you wouldn't have to deal with them at all. But we don't live in a post-colonial or post-racial society, so that's just not how it is. I would really hope for the generations to come, not just for young women of color, but for any person who comes through academia who doesn't see themselves represented. I hope and am working towards, hopefully, um, for them to have the ability to ask the questions that they would like to see answered um, and have those questions deemed valid by academia, by grant giving agencies, by society at large. Um, I think a lot of us come from diverse backgrounds and communities and have a lot of research that we'd like to conduct and put out there. Um, but it's not necessarily deemed as valid or sometimes it's deemed as biased because we come from that community. How does it feel um, when it comes to conversations about bias, knowing that you're doing research within your communities? How do you feel about the term bias being applied to that? Um, so I, um, yeah, I was told, I remember when I um, was at a conference presenting my master's research that I was brave, whatever that means, for conducting research within my own community um, because it could be considered a career killer. Because when you conduct research about your own people, your own community, your own experience, your own identity, um, it's considered bias. And I really didn't understand what that necessarily meant. Uh, I, don't, I don't know who it is that gets to ask questions about my community, but my experience, if not me. I also think it is a relic of a very colonial understanding of research. This idea that an outsider can be objective and unbiased. I don't believe that that's the case. I, I don't, that's not the way that I think the world works. I don't think anyone is unbiased. Um, and I don't necessarily understand how it is someone on the outside can, can answer questions any better. Um, than someone than someone internal to it. Um, I don't know how it makes me worse at asking questions or um, drawing observations than someone external to it. Definitely. Do you think that there are ways that your colleagues could better support you in navigating some of these conversations or systems? Um, I don't know. It's hard. I think so much of it is based on your experience. So much of it is based on, yeah, things that you, you just personally have to experience. And if you haven't experienced them, I don't know how, how you would better support it. I don't know. I feel like I'm struggling to answer the question because I don't even know what kind of support would be, would be beneficial. I think, I think so much of it is systems level. I think 
academia is one of those places that is so um, caught up in its own processes that it's almost difficult to imagine what kind of changes need to take place to make it a more equitable and fair place and a, a place that's less difficult for so many to access. Um, there are many concrete ways, like just in terms of, you know, making post-secondary education more accessible in terms of tuition and um, things like that, that would definitely enable so many more to be able to enter um, and complete degrees and um, ask the same questions. But yeah, I think that's, that, that's something that takes quite a bit of thought, especially in terms of those interpersonal relationships that I was discussing. Oh, definitely. Um, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. Sure. You had mentioned that you took time off between your degrees to kind of find yourself. What exactly does that mean? I don't know, because I still haven't found myself. So I have no idea what that means. Um, I think it really um, meant, like I mentioned, taking the time to ask questions and to see if this was the career path that I wanted. So um, between my master's and my PhD, I mentioned I was working for professors who were doing research in community palliative care. And so being more exposed to the research process in general and how that works and being exposed a little bit more intimately to the processes within academia, I think enabled me to um, ask the questions and understand whether or not this was a place that I could see myself um, and a place that I wanted my future to be in. Definitely. You know, I think sometimes there's a common perception that taking time off between degrees, sometimes that gets perceived a little bit more negatively. How do you feel about those perceptions? Or did you feel like there was any weight in taking time off between your degrees? Um, I didn't feel it. It could just be out of my own ignorance. Like, I don't know, maybe I should have felt it. I don't know. Um, yeah, there's definitely pressure, I think, for you to finish all of your degrees in the shortest amount of time possible. I felt that pressure, I'm feeling that pressure now, like as I'm in the middle of my degrees, but I didn't feel it between my degrees. I, yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't necessarily feel like there was any negative association. Maybe it was also because I was still in academia in a sense, like I, I was still associated with the space and conducting research. Um, so I wasn't completely out of it. I, I was still participating in some shape or form, just not in the form of working towards a degree. Would you say that there was any setbacks or negative implications from taking that time off in between your degrees? I, I don't know. I think maybe I know some people who finished their uh, PhDs in a lot shorter time frame or, or went from their master's directly to their PhDs, even like that, you know, when you kind of compress your master's and go right into the next degree. And so I feel like maybe in terms of time and it enabled them to get into their postdoc or into teaching a lot quicker than I have. But I don't know. I'm a firm believer in also being able to experience and having a life outside of the academic world. And I think taking that time off and kind of going at my own pace has allowed me to do that. And I've been very lucky in the sense that I've had supervisors, committee members and mentors that have encouraged me to do that and haven't really pressured me in terms of the timeline for all of my degrees and even just within while I'm completing them. So, yeah. Okay, so in talking about, you know, taking time off during your PhD to pursue things that you're passionate about, can you tell me a little bit more about that? 
Um, so I took my time um, off during my PhD to work within the provincial election in 2018. So I actually took the term off so I could work for an NDP MPP here and help her get reelected, uh, which was a lot of fun and a really good experience. And like I said, I was really lucky that my supervisor was really supportive and said, go do what you want to do. And um, it gives you a good experience and helps you build connections within the broader London community as well. So, you know, those things. And I, I would say, I think even throughout my PhD, I'm kind of maybe moving at a slower pace than is, a lot of other students try to move just because I am involved in a lot of community groups and political organizing and things like that. And that's really important to me, not just in terms of helping me keep my sanity, um, but also, um, like I said, is part of the holistic way that I try to live my life. Now, when you're not taking time off and you're working on your PhD, do you find that you're still able to have that holistic, encompassing experience of your life and still be involved in your community in some capacity? Um, I try my best. Um, I think that I think everybody kind of feels regardless of what you're doing with your life that you're trying to juggle so many different aspects. It's like that meme of like Corella developed the steering wheel and they're like, you're trying to sleep at least eight hours. That's a myth and drink enough water and stay in touch with your friends and just do all the things that you're supposed to be trying to balance in life. And I think everybody just feels like that. Yeah, I definitely try my best. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, like I said, it helps just with my mental health, even being involved in things outside of academia and building community um, in a variety of ways. So yeah, I think so. Um, okay, so speaking about your time in academia, thinking about current Sama and where you're at, and then thinking about Sama when she first started her graduate studies, what advice would current you have for past you when you were first starting out? Like starting out my master's, starting my PhD? Master's. Master's. Oh. Very beginning of your grad school experience. No, she needed a lot of help, not going to lie. She still needs help, but like she needed more help then than she does now. Get this girl some help. <laughs> yes, honestly. Um, who, let's see, what advice would I give her? I think have more confidence in yourself and in your ideas. I think like, I, I think it, this goes back to the mentorship piece. Um, I, I obviously have I've been very blessed. I love my supervisor currently and for my master's as well. They were great women to work with. I had amazing committee members who supported me along the way, but I think even just in myself, I held myself back a little bit in articulating my ideas in the way that I thought they could have been. Um, for whatever reason, I thought they wouldn't be acknowledged or accepted. I didn't think they were valid. I didn't think they were valid to be asked in an academic space. And so I think having more confidence in myself and the things that I wanted to explore, I would definitely tell her to, to have at it. <laughs> so thinking about your current self now and thinking about how you've moved forward in your research and in your graduate school experience, how would you describe yourself as a researcher? Hi. Okay, um, how would I describe myself? I don't know. That's a good question. I, I don't know. It's a hard one. I would describe myself as someone who feels like they are caught between um, 
maybe the the systems that we have and the structures that we have and um kind of trying to create or build or modify to make them more equitable and that does that's not just within the the space itself like in in the university but also in the way that we ask questions um and the way that we conduct research so i think how is it that we can open ourselves up to different ways of knowing and you know i don't want to say giving validity but like acknowledging different forms of knowledge and um saying that these are legitimate forms of knowing and forms of knowledge that sounds really abstract like i'm talking but um yeah i i think i think that's part of the reform that we need is to acknowledge that that knowledge comes in different forms and that there are different ways of understanding the world um and i think that's part of the expansion that needs to happen it's not just about the structures but it's also about the questions that we ask and which questions are deemed valid in that space okay so thinking about all these insights that you've learned and you gained throughout this and now thinking about your research specifically what's something interesting about your research or maybe a fact about your research that maybe the general public wouldn't necessarily know um i think um when i describe my research i talking about navigating healthcare systems um it sounds from a very i guess a systems level understanding which is what i am doing but i'm also incorporating aspects of power dynamics within the the questions that i'm asking i'm looking at how it is that um arabs in north america or in ontario specifically are a racialized group of people who have historically been perceived a specific way in in society and in pop culture um and how is it that that impacts their ability to access and their experiences in receiving care and there's also i think an important power dynamic that might be a little bit more commonly acknowledged um between the the healthcare provider and the patient accessing care so i think really being attuned to those questions of who is it that has power in space and who is it that gets to define the interaction are really important to me um and don't always come out in surface level based conversation but um definitely hoping to really pull that through in my in my research definitely in thinking about pulling that through and progressing in your research where are you hoping you end up at the end of all of this yeah um hopefully sane like with with my mental health intact that's that's as much as i can hope for um no um i don't know i kind of am trying to keep different opportunities open i think as many grad students do i i don't really know how it'll pan out um i really like i mentioned really like the idea of being able to teach um and being able to be someone in an academic space you know as a visibly muslim woman and encourage other young muslim women to kind of do the same and see themselves represented i i i i did my undergrad at huron and i loved huron i just loved the culture there i loved the relationship between the professors and the students they were really small classes so you got to know your profs um so i i've been thinking recently i was like huron is like the perfect place to end up teaching and just in my imagination so i'm i'm putting it out there so that hopefully it'll materialize and maybe you know when you speak things they'll come to fruition so that's what i'm doing i'm speaking them so they come to fruition i want to end up teaching at huron that would be awesome 
do you believe that the universe works in a certain way? Like, are you someone that prescribes to that kind of notion? I don't know. I think, like, obviously I'm a religious person, so I, I believe, you know, certain big T truths about the universe. But I also think that part of it is um, having the courage to... Um, put your dreams to words and articulate them gives them a certain amount of power. Um, even just your ability to say, I want that. And that's what I'm working towards, I think has a very powerful mental effect. So that's what I'm doing. <laughs> okay. So alongside this, what is something that you think you learned about yourself in the time that you've spent in grad school? Something I've learned about myself. I've learned a lot. I would say some of it attributed to my time at grad school, some of it just, you know, growing and being a person. Um, something I learned about myself. It could be about you as a researcher or you as that general yeah. person. I think I would say that I have, I think that I have the power to define and shape my life. I think I recently came across a journal entry where I set like listed countries that I wanted to visit. This was like from like five years back. And I've since crossed off like four of the five countries or whatever. Like, you know, there were things that I was reading that I really wanted that have I've since materialized. Um, and so I think I've learned that I maybe should give myself more credit in terms of my ability to, um, you know, make the things happen that, that I want and, and put my life in the direction that I want it to go. So yeah, I think maybe I, I have more power than I, I maybe thought I had six years ago or whenever it was that I started my master's. Maybe that's it. Definitely. So alongside this trajectory of growing and realizing, who do you think you're going to be when you finish your PhD? God, who knows? I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. <laughs> So much changes on a regular basis. So am I PMSing? And you know, what's what's the world like that day? Who knows? So um, how much time did you spend on Twitter that day? Exactly, exactly. Yes. Um, who am I gonna be at the end? I who maybe who who do I want to be? I guess. Um, hmm. I guess I want to be someone who has been useful to my community, someone who, um, like I said, has asked important and useful questions and um, given back in some shape or form. I really grapple with the fact that a lot of the time as researchers, we when we ask, when we go out and we ask people questions and we kind of build our careers out of other people's answers. Like we conduct interviews, we, and then from that information, we write papers and we, you know, publish and get grants. And it, I don't know, it always is weird to me that, yeah, that we build our careers off of information we gather from others. And so I just, in the back of my mind, I always try to think of how is it that that information goes back and serves the people that I have asked from. Um, and so I think if I'm looking at how I want to build my careers to make sure that that aspect is very strongly present and incorporated. Um, and so making sure that the results are reaching the ears of the people that need to hear it, that I am also advocate, advocating for them in 
different spaces um, and that the benefits of me asking those questions, it's, I'm not the only one that's reaping the benefits, but also the people that I've asked from. In thinking about that, have you ever thought of different ways or have you spent time brainstorming ways that you feel like you're going to be giving your research back? Um, I think that's part of the reason why I do participate in political activism as well and community organizing is because I think it has to be like a more a, a bigger multi pronged approach. So I think, you know, the things that I have learned in conducting my research over time are things that I should also be advocating for at a policy level um, and putting in front of the people who have the power to make those changes and those decisions. Um, and so I think that's kind of part of my reasoning and how I see those aspects go hand in hand. I think I've also um, tried to learn from different, I would say, methodologies or understandings and kind of goes back to different ways of knowing um, of how it is that knowledge is produced and shared amongst people. Um, and so really being open to different ways of asking questions and producing knowledge. Um, and then I think it goes back to conducting research within your own community as well. And so, you know, I'm not an outsider that will never talk or see or understand the, the phenomenon that I am working within. I'm someone who my own family members and even myself may experience at one point in time. And so, yeah, I think it's, it, it's also part of the way you give back that you have to see yourself within that system in a sense. I don't know if that's making sense. I feel like I speak really abstractly sometimes and I don't know if it's always coherent. It is coherent. Do not worry. So alongside this thought and reflecting upon yourself, seeing yourself in these different systems you know and we've spent a lot of time talking about you and who you are today but what is something about you that people don't necessarily know i don't know <laughs> that's a hard question because i i don't know i don't know what other people know uh, the people that don't necessarily know um, I don't, I don't know. Well, I talk, I talk a lot about the fact that I lived in, that I am Egyptian, but I don't know if a lot of people know that I moved there after high school. So I lived in Egypt for almost a decade of my life. Um, and it was, yeah, very formative years. So like from when I was oh, almost 10, maybe until I graduated high school. Um, so yeah, I think, yeah, I've lived in London for a decade now. And I think when you are involved in community and community organizing, people just assume you've kind of always been there. Um, but that's not the case. And I, I, I don't know, I still consider myself a relative newcomer, even though I have been here for almost 13 years. But um, yeah, I, I, I think people know I'm Egyptian. I don't think they know that I lived there for as long as I did. So. What was the experience of living there like for you? Oh, that'll take a whole podcast all by itself, to be honest. It was so, yeah, I, um, so obviously I'm, see, I don't even have the words because I don't know where to start. I, um, so I grew up obviously in North America and then I moved to Egypt when I was about 10-ish. And so I had, I, I'm Egyptian culturally, but then at the same time, um, hadn't grown up in that space. So there was a lot of learning there. Um, but then at the same time, I was 
um, attending an American school in Egypt. So I was an Egyptian who had never lived in Egypt who was attending a school with other foreigners. It, it's as messy as it sounds. Um, and so, and then at the same time, we left, I think, late 90s, um, maybe, maybe 2000, I think. And um, so 9-11 happened while we were there. And so I experienced a 9-11 world and all of the ramifications afterwards in the Middle East and not in North America, as a lot of my friends here did. So that had its own impact on myself and the way I see the world and my growth. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, yeah, like I said, takes a whole podcast by itself just to describe it. <laughs> That's okay. And do you think that your experiences that you've had have informed who you are currently as a human being? Yeah, absolutely, I would say. Um, yeah, definitely. I think going to Egypt was the first time that I witnessed extreme poverty, so not just relative poverty. Um, the me the political media is very different, and so I, I feel like in North America it's a little bit more sanitized. Um, and so I think seeing the extent and the ramifications of um, neocolonialism, um, the war on terror, all the things that happened in a post 9-11 world, um, seeing that really vividly and upfront, I think definitely had an impact on the way that I see the world. Um, yeah, yeah, def definitely did. <laughs> okay, I guess based on the way that you see the world and the insights that you've developed throughout your life, is there any words of wisdom, advice, anything that you want to share with everyone that you think is important? I always struggle with that question because I feel like I'm someone that needs advice and shouldn't be giving it. <laughs> like, what am I doing giving other people advice? I don't think that's a good idea. Um, um, let's see, advice for other people. I don't know. I just, I, I feel like I come from a place where I try to care about the well-being of of others to the best of my ability. And I genuinely don't understand other people that don't. And so I feel like the advice would just be, we have to be better about caring for each other. Um, you know, care about other people's well-being, right? Like if your neighbor doesn't have, you know, housing and food and water and healthcare and all of the essentials for life, like that should be something that really tugs at your sense of morality. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I feel like we just have to be better about caring for each other. And it's something that I, I don't know if I'm successful at doing, but something I try to do. grad school. You can listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at Humans of GS. If you want to get in touch, email humansofgradschoolpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening.